0: Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas, not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velatric are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velatric.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again. V E L O T R I C dot B I K E slash some gadget guy, velatric bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional sixty dollars off an already low price by using the coupon code some GADGET sixty, some GADGET six zero at checkout. Once again, velatric dot slash some gadget guy and coupon code some GADGET sixty, and I thank velatric for being a sponsor on this show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. (gasps) I'm Juan Carlos Fagnell, a.k.a. Some Gadget Guy. The SGG of this terribly named podcast series, but the QA, that's the important part, SGGQA, which obviously stands for question and answers. We're going to have an interactive chat. Uh... About the week's uh, tech news, I like to hold my podcast on a Monday. It gives us a little time to kind of sort out our feels from stories that happened during the week, read into them a little bit more, and come back and you know get us started, get a, get us in the right headspace for a good uh, a good Monday. We're wrapping up the year, and we're getting a lot of uh, traction on on some of these stories that I think are just kind of continuing, continuing developments on some of our favorite products and platforms and social media and features. Immediately, I'm going to put out just at the top of this um, for folks watching live. uh, Greatly appreciate it. This is the first episode of this podcast that I have not promoted in any way on Twitter. One of the stories we're going to talk about was breaking news on Twitter. And um, I I would like to take this opportunity in lieu of some of my normal, I hope you had a good weekend patter, just kind of a little peek behind the curtain. I have been very critical of Twitter. I've still been peeking in occasionally on Twitter, but increasingly they continue to make business moves that I have a harder and harder time uh, justifying my involvement. It has been an extremely difficult challenge moving other companies away from broad social media strategies. Even in some of my communications, I try to point out to these brands and to these services, like... This is not really a platform I feel fully invested in. This is not really a platform that I feel comfortable promoting work on anymore. It is increasingly becoming a challenge to share this content. You can look at my follower count there and see that I've got some followers, but you're really not getting traction. Engagement has plummeted. Um, Real true interactions between people on Twitter has plummeted. I, I don't feel comfortable paying twitter for my tweets to be a little bit more visible again when their algorithm still ratchets who gets to see what and then on top of that just as the techie political wonk that i try to be as they continue to make some of these business decisions it really sours the experience and i just don't feel comfortable So I I mentioned it in the chat and I had a few folks pop up and I really very much appreciate those of you who are continuing to help promote and share content creators. As you look at these different platforms, wherever you might feel comfortable participating, I I always appreciate it when you're trying to bring cool geeks to this conversation. I usually don't ask up front. But as we're making this transition, is that I'm trying to not only separate myself, but also many of the companies that I do business with, like this is a legitimate part of what helps to cover a mortgage and put a roof over my family's head and food on the table. Um, I would very much appreciate just the little extra effort if you're uh, of any mind to help contribute like that letting people know the show is live is sort of one of those critical social media aspects of how we join these conversations and how we interact with others. And the fact that Twitter has been dead properly dead since Elon Musk took over. Um, I, I have no interest in continuing to engage with what has sort of risen from the ashes of Twitter. So, um, F- folks who were in there, I, I mean, I know Barry sent out you know a big thumbs up and and I appreciate the uh, the the support. I always appreciate the assist. Um, these conversations are tricky because you know obviously not everyone agrees with my stance, but um it's 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 sort of the way that I need to live my life so that I can sleep at night <laughs> it's It's getting that bad. um I am oh. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody. I'm seeing a great group of names already in this chat. Uh, You know, this is also going to be sort of an interesting test piece. Um, You know, if we make it through this stream and our audience is like half what it used to be, then maybe that's data that suggests that Twitter is, is still at least notifying people of the existence of this show. If we make it through this stream and the audience looks fairly similar... Then you know we don't really need to keep leaning on Twitter, and it's okay if we walk away um, from that as a social media uh, resource. So I'm very anxious to see, I'm very curious to see how this week's show plays out. But great group of names already in this chat. Um, Utaku saying hello there, Simons has Hypno saying good evening, Al, uh, good evening, all. I said Al because immediately after Evening All, we got Al (laughs) Sabakli. Hello, Gadget Boys and Girls. (laughs) We got Bray Gray. We got Copacash. Barry Johnson with the assist. I definitely appreciate it. Um, Simon says, Hypno, put up the Twitch link? I don't know. You mean here in the chat? Because here in the chat, it's just twitch.tv slash some gadget guy. I, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're asking, but um, Simon says, Hypno, we are live. We got Grounded Tech, J Man 150, Dave Burns, uh, Raymond, uh, Fat Produce, Bionic Scoop. We got Snorkel Bill H. Um, did I say Grounded Tech? I thought I said Grounded Tech. Paul Purry, I'm not here. You don't see me. Paul Purry turned into John Cena. <laughs> And Aditya um saying hey to everybody out there. <laughs> this is not the ball you're looking for. Al Zambino. What's up, Al? Uh, let, let's get that there. Uh, the chat came in quicker and I misclicked on a bunch of things. And Vince Navoa saying uh, good morning all. Jmen150 is always making sure that we're staying hydrated. Um, I forgot to set up the Twitch separate. I need to do that, because if I miss any subs or any shout-outs, like Jman150 redeemed stretch and posture check. I need to get a new chair. I got this chair not that long ago, and all of the like, cushioning parts are like falling apart. This is a terrible chair. I'm really glad I didn't do a video on it or anything, because it's just super gross, and I need something better a uh, little bit especially something with some like lumbar, so I can do like my like my pop and lock. This is not helping at all. This is terrible podcasting, so uh short story incredibly long show no longer gonna be promoted on Twitter unless something catastrophic happens, and I guess I need Twitter audience, which would be pretty gross, but especially for folks also listening in on the replay crew, I greatly appreciate those of you who take the time to review podcasts to share podcasts with your friends. I love podcasting in that it is the last bastion of somewhat algorithm-free content distribution. If you're on a platform like Spotify, obviously you're getting suggestions and they're trying to direct you to different shows because they spent way more money than they should have on getting podcasting over on Spotify to the detriment of musicians. Um, But if you're just sort of using a third-party podcasting app, then you are finding your own shows. You're not sort of being fed the same way that YouTube or other social media sites. So uh, again, uh, greatly appreciate folks who do take that time. It, it means a lot. Um, it's, it's how we sort of organically build a good audience and spread the word and join these really silly tech geeky conversations. So um, T-Bubs, it's my two month anniversary from my sub. Woo woo. T-Bubs, I appreciate it. That's awesome. Thank you for supporting and uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, let me get this out of the way here. Um, Dave Burns, Epos Vox recommended a decent chair for production. I need to check it out, but I'm also like super nitpicky about, um, like I need to have a mesh chair throughout the year. I'm just an easily overheated sweaty guy. And I'm often sitting in front of a big old beefy workstation, but especially during the summer where the sun is hitting this wall because I have a west-facing office, um, I need as much ventilation as, as I can get. Oh, it is a mesh chair. Okay, good, Dave. And then I'll, I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- this was just sort of a moderately priced mesh, um, and it's really not a good chair. I'll look it up because maybe I should tell people not to buy it, but it fell apart much faster than I would have wanted it to. Um grounded tech. Meshed is best. You know, that's actually gonna be now my 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 trigger phrase to get into a terrible Sean Connery. Meshed is bashed. And that now I'm speaking like double oh seven. <laughs> but not really, this is the worst. <laughs> Alright, let me let me let me clear all this. Uh folks, we have a jam-packed show. Crazy news. Uh crazy news that we're gonna get to. Uh, but then I also want to leave just a little bit more time open. We're kind of wrapping up uh 2023, we're already kicking off 2024, and uh I- I've finally gotten to spend a little quality time with the IQ 12, which is also one of the first phones to launch with that new Snapdragon, high-performance phone. I've been benchmarking like crazy all weekend and double and triple checking my numbers because it's like, as you do that sort of generational change, like I want to make sure I've got the numbers right. So before we sort of tease all that out for the Patreon, um, there's a lot to already kind of share and talk about with the direction that these phones are going. It's crazy to me that we're already deep into multiple product launches for phones that live in 2024, but they're like cars now right it's the 2024 model but it it launched the end of 2023 and this this kind of hurts my brain like if I'm doing a year-end rap like what were the best phones of 2023 well maybe the best phone for gaming in 2023 was launched in December of 2023 is that fair should we be talking generationally based on things like chipsets and SOCs, or should we be just talking about the calendar year? It's like award show season. Should there be a date cut off? I, we'll get into this in the second half of the show. I, I, I don't want to spoil all that part of the conversation. We've got a little housekeeping we got to get through. Uh, I got some, some fun videos out. Just finally catching up to some of the backlog of videos that I've been wanting to make, not necessarily just, you know, phone review after phone review after phone review, but also like accessories and, and, uh, game uh, controllers and portable monitors. So I'm going to flip over into screen share here. <laughs> Grounded tech, terrible Sean Connery achieved. Well, you, you gave me, you gave me a much better starter phrase. Um, like, uh, it's a terrible actor crutch. But there are you know like just like little mannerisms that you can kind of tap into to then like launch into a character um like dialect. I've never, never had uh, like a good Sean Connery. And I kinda just you know like how everyone has like a like a terrible Christopher Walken, you know, like my Christopher Walken is like an impression, is an impersonation of someone doing an impersonation of Jay Moore doing an impersonation of Christopher Walken, and my Sean Connery is demonstrably worse. <laughs> Gabaletta, are we talking Red Magic Nine Pro? I mean, we can definitely add that to the block. That thing has been insane to see what what kind of numbers they're pulling from red magic but we're gonna uh, kick over into a screen share here real quick what I'm gonna do I forgot to set my twitch chat separate so I want to see if I can do this without breaking this so I'm gonna screen share to my Firefox you're gonna see my twitch stream here I'm gonna pop out the chat and hopefully it doesn't track my chat pop out ready hooray it worked Every now and then, OBS does this thing where whenever I screen share, it screen shares the chat and not the actual web zone that I'm trying to take a look at. So, this this is Twitch. This is amazing podcasting, by the way. I'm, I'm doing a banger job. If anyone is coming to this fresh for the very first time because you saw someone else share this show on social media, I apologize. Um, usually, the show is a little better put together than this. <laughs> Um. Oh, these are great questions. Uh, how good are the cameras on the IQ 12? One, what is your game of the year if you have one? Uh, please keep those questions in mind. We will absolutely get to those after we kind of wrap up the, the news block here. All right. Um, let me get this there. Okay. So housekeeping. First up, like I was saying, this has just been the right time to start clearing out some of my video backlog. I've been wanting to do this video for a little while. How do you game on your phone with a controller showdown? And I'm pitting not brands against each other, but styles of controller against each other with a more traditional controller that has like a little phone clip or the slider controllers that kind of cradle the whole phone. How do you prefer to game on your phone? Please drop a comment on that video or on the, the website. I just think it's an interesting conversation because there's sort of a a comfort factor versus a flexibility factor. And I think one tends to get a bit more discussion than the other. All right. Uh, I also got a couple shorts out, but one of the fun ones was just asking people uh, how do they uh, use their phones in video? For, blah, 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 how do they use their phones for video in flex mode or in tent mode? I prefer tent mode. And someone said I was crazy. So, I just thought I'd put the question out there and there's actually a poll um that I thought was kind of fun on the uh YouTube community page for my uh for my YouTube channel. I got some pretty good responses on it. So, just a cute little short, nothing too fancy right there. But one of the big videos we put out, how far has Android come since the LG V50? Now, I uh I very much enjoy the fun patter Uh, Like, for example, Easy Computer Solutions, the Tech Preacher, uh, absolutely always uh, manages to highlight phones like the LG V60. This is one of the all-time best phones ever made. And even in today's performance, it is still a very capable work truck of a productivity phone. Um, If you really liked what LG did in their phones, it is very difficult to move on from a V60. But I wanted to try and do something even just a a little bit more dramatic. We talk about phones year over year, and we try to promote like, oh, this is the new thing, and this is the new Snapdragon chip, and it's, oh, it's so much more powerful, and look at all this. But year over year, you don't see a lot of practical difference. So I wanted to go back a couple years. Well, two years, that's kind of just average phone ownership. That's not much of a challenge people are trying to hold onto their phones into years three and four. So I wanted to push it even just a little further than what we often see on that bell curve, right? You have some people that are changing their phones multiple times a year, but there are more people that are trying to hold onto their phones for like four years. So I looked at something that is technically four and a half, getting on to about five years. And that's the LG V50, specifically the Korean model here. So I did all of my current modern-day testing, video production, that's editing and trimming and rendering 4K video from a phone. I did all of my audio editing and podcast mixing and timing all of that production and performance. Um, Stabilization test. I did a, a RAR compression test. I did my batch photo processing test. And I wanted to see, like, we talk about these things as if like they're out of date a year after they launch. But that's obviously not the reality of how a computer works. But going back five years, is do we see enough substantial practical performance improvement that we really should be trying to push people into these newer devices? If you only talk about phones as being basic communicator products, then there's really no reason to spend more than like 200 bucks on a phone. Like there just isn't a practical reason. It's, it's nice to spend money on something more expensive. You kind of feel good about it. You're flashing something. It's, it's, a, you know, it's more of a compliment to your style. But if you're really looking at what the computer do, basic communicator phones are incredible. In that two to four hundred dollar price range, like they're monsters. They're really good, even into casual snapshots, better camera performance, better multimedia streaming. We're starting to see a lot more OLEDs and high refresh rates, better, you know, mid-ranger processors are scaling down into lower and lower costs. But what if you had a premium phone? What if you had like one of the most expensive phones of that year? So that's what that video is taking a look at and really comparing. I'm looking at these numbers, and I'm looking at what a modern phone can do, and there is no one winning modern phone. So I'm only comparing the LG V50, but every single time the LG V50 loses, it's losing to a different phone. There is not one king, champion, it got the best Antutu score, so it's the best at everything. Every phone this year had very distinct pros and cons in performance, even when they're using the same chip. So I feel like there's a lot we can expand on that. We've got Geeker1, we've got Golden Reviewer, we've got ETA Prime, we've got some great content creators that actually dig a little bit deeper than just, i run a Geekbench score and this number is bigger than that number. We need more. Anyone in here who's like kind of joining those conversations or you're contributing or like if you're producing your own stuff, like start taking a look. What are tasks that you can do on your phone that you can replicate? Like I have a video project that I copy and paste from LumaFusion to every phone that I review so I can get a handle on is this phone better at video editing help with that conversation. And I am ready to promote and share and, and highlight what it is that you can bring to the table because we need more people. I would love to have like a little circle Uh, in TK Bay. He does a lot more like on the gaming side, Barry Johnson's in this chat, engineer reacts, his channel's phenomenal, but I would love to have sort of a division of labor. I don't do a ton of in-depth game testing. I like to point my friends over to TK's channel because he really does game on his phone with games that I don't play. Um, but I would love to separate out so that we're running sort of individual tests and it's not all on us to do every single test all by ourselves. It would be great to have a network of reviewers that we could kind of function like a hardware unboxed or a gamer's nexus and we could point to each other's stuff and just say like, "Hey, Barry's responsible for this. TK is responsible for that. One, he won't shut up about video rendering. And and then you get, I think, a much better look at what all these devices can do. So, uh, moving on. (laughs) There was also some stuff out on the Patreon. Uh, I mean, everything that I post sort of publicly is first, mostly first shared over on Patreon.com slash SomeGadgetGuy. Um, But I also did want to share. Here we go. I found a cool new mount for my Xiaomi 13 Ultra. Increasingly, this is becoming less and less a phone and more just my production B camera. If if this is kind of my A look from my Panasonic Lumix, then the Xiaomi is my B camera and there's this new mount that has proper 17 millimeter threads for three of the four camera sensors on the Xiaomi. So I've been like a kid in a candy store. I've been trying to design my own. I have not been able to 3D print something that works at all. <laughs> the bayonet mount on the 13 Ultra. I am not talented at 3D printing or coming up with my own accessories. I'm real good at just copying someone else's STL and be like, hey, cool, I made a toy from my daughter. It's, it's a flexible unicorn, Lex. Daddy made this for you. I made this. I didn't make that. Um... So I, I uh I have a macro lens. This is from Photor Gear. I shared uh a few more of the images. Like this one I had to share on uh uh Flickr. So if you go to my Flickr, you can see this really lovely wild iris shot. And it's just super close and warm and crunchy and um has like gorgeous depth of field, this bokeh blur. Uh but it's just I, I I f- took a look at this shot and really enjoyed it. But I've got a few other here, like some holiday lights and and some other uh, uh, some some other macro shots, just to kind of compare and contrast. But I also uh, tested out one of my older anamorphic lenses, and so anamorphic is uh, is a really interesting idea for mobile. If you're not familiar with with the idea, and when you see sort of a really really skinny wide cinema aspect ratio often that's done with these special lenses that kind of squish the image onto the film frame Um, it's a different aspect ratio on the film frame but what you have to do is de-squeeze it so the lens squishes this image and it makes everything look kind of weird and ovally and distorted and then you pull it apart so that you have this super wide representation but you didn't have to use special film Um, You could still shoot this on 35. That lives on today with digital sensors. You don't have to have a weird, special, skinny digital sensor. You can use a lens and then software to uh, manipulate the aspect ratio. Well, we have these little adapters for our phones. I have not been able to find a way to mount an anamorphic to any of the one-inch sensor phones. The camera bulges are so large. On the Xiaomi, it's a double bump. You have a housing bump and then an actual lens bump. Oh, I can take this off here. So there's there's like this two stage and none of my clip-on adapters or mounts, nothing has worked on this. So uh, this, this new, oops, I put it on upside down. That's not gonna help. There we go. So this new plate, it, it helped me properly attach an anamorphic adapter. The footage is so fun um it is glass on top of glass on top of the lens of the phone so there are tons of distortion vignetting uh the image gets really smeary your your um your bokeh gets stretched and pulled it looks very diff- it looks different than a nice just sort of bokeh uh fall off the bokeh balls are are these not quite perfectly oval, but just these these different shapes. It's so fun. It looks like 1970s-era, grungy film from a phone sensor. It, it Our phone sensors have gotten so good, the sensor-level performance is very similar to what I can see on my $1,000 Lumix G9. So slapping this on... This is like I've got a 16 millimeter, a super 16 film camera in my pocket. And then I just kind of screw on this, this adapter and it looks like grindhouse. It looks like dirty film stock. It is just such a fun look. Um, I'm probably going to shoot most of my holidays in anamorphic on the Xiaomi 13 Ultra now that I have this plate. And then lastly, uh, I I just got to share a really lovely moment um, yesterday we uh, we set up a phone call for uh, my daughter. Um, she has a school project where she has to interview a living relative. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Interview a living ancestor. I remember because like the title of that assignment could be a little insulting. <laughs> You're a living ancestor. Uh, so <laughs> let me pull this up. Sorry. Um, preserving family history: the geek edition. This is this is just sort of an editorial, uh, and you'll have to pardon, I've been really emotional about the preservation of your family history. I recently suffered a loss in the family. My grandparents are really getting up there in age, and I'm just kind of a little desperate right now. I'm getting a little obsessive-compulsive, and I really need to kind of strike up a relationship with a new therapist. But in the meantime, I'm using my Patreon to kind of express some of those feelings. My daughter is terrible at video calls. She is a miserable little pill. But lately we found that if you just put her on an audio call and she can kind of move around, she's not like confined to sitting in front of a webcam, that she's this lovely conversationalist. But she had the school assignment, five super basic second grader questions. And just like enough room for each question to write like, a sentence with five words in it. So we had no idea what she was going to be like. And um, my grandmother, uh, she, she's just this brilliant lady, but she's kind of a, a battle axe of a conversationalist. And you kind of give her a... a you, she's she's like original AI. You give her a prompt, and then like 20 minutes later, she's completing sort of the full examination of what it was that you asked her about. Um, it's... It, I I don't know. I, I, I come by it honest, you know, like where I ramble and I, I can't, you know, just concisely get to an answer. So we sit, sit my daughter down in front of this phone call and Lex and my grandmother just launch into this rich dynamic conversation. And I'm scrambling like, Oh, Oh, this is going better. I should have thought about this just from the get go. So I miss like the first two or three minutes But I I turn on a recorder, I set the phone, another phone out in front of her on my phone on the speaker phone call, and I got like 40 minutes of audio of my daughter talking to her great-grandmother about what it was like growing up. And I got family stories that I had never heard before. One of those stories was completely inappropriate to tell an (laughs) eight-year-old. But I don't think Lex fully understood what she was hearing. At least I hope not. So it's gonna be even funnier when Lex hears this back later. But in this whole like this whole era, our digital content is so fragile. And we're so quick to throw something up on a Facebook or an Instagram or some kind of social media. And then that kind of just leaves our brain. Like, Instagram is a terrible place to archive your photography. I mean, you've got to scroll through your page. There's terrible search. Like, it really doesn't work for that. And I feel too many people get stuck in the track, trap of, well, I shared this, and if people cared about it, then that's great, and then they kind of move on. But for my cousin Phil, we talked about who recently on the show, there's like this little middle, middle gap where he kind of doesn't exist anymore because all of those memories were digital and ephemeral and he got a few likes and then that they moved on. When you go back and you look at your photography and your videos of little family moments and family events, they won't get the viral social media attention in the moment. But later on in life, people really appreciate if they have that stuff You don't want to lose it, right? You want to kind of hold on to it. So I've got a podcast. (laughs) I've got a 40-minute podcast of my daughter and my grandmother that we'll be able to just keep and, and kind of listen back to. I always have this little sample of her voice, and I really feel like I need to do more while my grandparents are still with me. It's so simple now. Like, if I had set up my grandparents in front of a microphone, it would have been terrible it i mean better better audio fidelity terrible conversation but just sort of sliding a phone with the audio recorder on next time you're out with like your family or friends and like a funny story is being told it's sneaky and some people in your family are going to think you're totally weird to do this but turn on your memo recorder get that audio save it cuz 20 years later Someone's going to hear that and just, it's going to snap. It's going to click. You're like, oh, I'm so glad we still have, I'm so glad we still have this person's voice. My wife's dad passed when she was really, really young. But he worked as a radio DJ. And his sister was, was it just so lovely that his sister saved cassette tapes of some of his radio broadcasts. He was just this really funny, surf rock, corny dude on the radio, FM radio, just telling lame jokes and like queuing up playlists and stuff. And like, it was a lot of effort to get those tapes properly uh, transferred into digital audio. But like, again, it was like a 15 year gap where my wife had just never heard her dad's voice. And then we had it and now we can keep it and we can kind of share it and... That's, it means a lot. It, it's really heavy stuff, and I, I know I've been on this tangent a lot lately, but these moments are critical. And we have these incredible discrete tools that do not distract much from the event. And it's so much easier now than what it used to be to kind of preserve someone's story, someone's history, just the sound of their voice. It means it, it's, it's a really big deal. Let me take a drink of water. I just kind of want to get through some of these comments, and then we can kind of crack through our news block. I really want to get into, like, IQ, because this IQ has been rocking my socks. So I'm going to try to abbreviate each of the tech stories, unless there's, like, a really good conversation y'all want to have. Um, It's just a lot of follow-up stuff that I think we need to pay attention to. Hey, podcast listeners. I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items and ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for Support Some Gadget Guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some One More headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, mmm, savory, delicious mega pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Oh, Dave, it's stuff like that, man. It's so heartwarming, it's like hard not to just sob over it. My grandmother never canceled my grandfather's phone number, so she could call the phone and hear his leave a message. In the past, like that, might have been the only audio recording technology that someone had access to. Oh, that's tough, um, Zach. Oh, hey, Zach talks tech. What's up, Zach's In the chat, I I always I love your face, man. I, I I've been uh, lurking on your live streams, so I can't say I miss your face. I I just I'm gonna say I love your face. I have a great recording of my folks giving real good relationship advice, marriage advice. My dad has tapes and tapes of his broadcasting DJ days. And that it's, it's like the best family history, like the oral tradition, the storytelling. It's just so rich. Um, tech loving mama. I feel and get this. My mom is 81 and I think of this often. And in general, I'm awful with taking photos and videos. I need more of her for myself and my kids. And, and I don't know, I don't know how it is in your family, but the second you start sort of pointing cameras at people, it's like you get that deer in the headlights. Like, why are you pointing that camera at me? And I think enough of our older family members have gotten used to phones being the cameras, but I'm telling you, Memo recorder. Just get the audio. And also it's a little easier to store. I mean, it's a little smaller. Like I can put this on a little server and kind of stream it and listen to it. It's really easy. Not everything has to be of the higher production quality or fidelity. Oh, and Michael Corcoran. Um, thanks very we gotten a great response. My sister made a GoFundMe and people responded donating over six grand to help pay for funeral expenses and the like. And Michael, my heart goes out to you, and I know you're you and your family are going through a lot right now too. Um, T Bubs forty five. I podcasted through the pandemic, and I look at that being away from my future kids to understand what was going through my head during that time. I am so glad that I was still taking little photos and videos throughout the pandemic. My brain is so Swiss cheesy, so full of holes each day kind of blurring into the next I have such a poor recollection of what pandemic life was like but now I'll get these pop-ups like two years ago you were doing this and often it's just like I was taking a photo of me and Lex in my office but like it helps reframe the stretch of time and then I start getting those little flashes and those little bursts like oh that's when we were starting to feel a little more comfortable going out to parks or, Oh, that's when we were still terrified and wiping down all of our groceries with bleach wipes without like that record of it. I, I think I would already be losing the sense of what it felt like to go through a world historic event. Um, Oh, Michael, it's it's uh, mentioned it last week it's been a hell of a week but it's been cathartic to look through all those memories that she had she was an avid photographer God that stuff's going to be so precious man back it all up in triplicate don't use sandisk drives like just keep it safe you'll always go back to it 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 just means so much um why don't we get down here and get that there oh yeah we didn't get to collectively grieve either dave burns that's absolutely true um nick gay if it wasn't for my kids i wouldn't have taken many picks i need to do better with filming myself for them too it's heady stuff i really hate thinking about it um You know, like, is Lex gonna go back and look at my videos and like, my dad was such a dork. <laughs> oh great, my dad did another video on the LGV 50 <laughs> I should probably make like some some standalone like just private content just for the family. <laughs> All right, I already mentioned this at the top of the show and uh oh sorry. All of the show notes, all of the housekeeping, and all of the news links that we're going to be talking about will be on this week's uh, blog post on SomeGadgetGuy.com. Keep a full list of everything that's there alongside ways to help support production on the show and uh, to to kind of keep up with these conversations, SomeGadgetGuy.com. I already talked about this at the top of the show. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. I, I just increasingly... I think we've seen Elon Musk's true colors. He is an opportunist. He is of the most vile character in never earnestly joining these kinds of conversations. And he put it up to a public vote as to whether or not to reinstate Alex Jones. And so now Alex Jones is back on Twitter. And the fact that this is just a couple of days before the anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting, is just one of the most vile things I could think of. And I know... I shouldn't say I know. I have very strong feelings that this is done on purpose to ratchet a disgusting response from the people that are more heavily invested in using Twitter. The timing on this is so... Convenient for picking open the scabs of awful memories of tragedies that have happened in our nation's history. Alex Jones, what he represents as a figure to those who are affected by those tragic events, and Elon Musk as a non-earnest participant in doing everything he can to jerry-rig as much controversy because it's the controversy that gets people angry, and then they go to Twitter and they're angry on Twitter. And then there's a whole sea of non-earnest participants who love to poop post on Twitter just for the lulls and to get people really upset. And they seem to Venn diagram overlap pretty significantly with Elon Musk as an individual. And it's yet again, it's another example of just an absolutely vile business decision that has kind of pushed me into the last stages of not being able to even do the tacit contributions. The I put out a new video, so I'll link it on Twitter. I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. This hurts me. It hurts the channel. It hurts notifications. It's the one of the main ways that you can kind of help spark the YouTube algorithm into pushing your content is if the YouTube algorithm is seeing people come from outside YouTube to consume your content. But I can't. I just can't. I have a few more contracts with um, some sponsored videos, and I'll likely have to share out just a few more of those as we get into the beginning of next year. And then it is going to be off of my rate sheet. I'm not going to continue to contribute to a truly awful um, situation that's unfolding over at Twitter. And, And I feel like I feel like the people that are still there, especially the journalists that are still there under the excuse of, well, I'm trying to share good information uh, to fight the people that are spreading misinformation and weaponizing misinformation. That's not it because you're not doing that. You're not really contributing to a conversation. You're just engaging in a fake lopsided debate that bumps up Twitter's engagement numbers and makes more money for people to then get paid to be awful on Twitter. So I can't tell people how to run their channels and I can't tell people, you know, to not be comfortable with this, the decisions that they've made. I can only say I am not comfortable with this kind of engagement on this platform anymore. And this is, this is the move that pushed me over the edge for any kind of interaction on what's going on over there. So I I don't even feel the need to like announce my departure, on their platform I'll mention it on Mastodon because I get some some kudos over on Mastodon when I say things like not using Twitter anymore (laughs) the Mastodon folks love that Um, so it's just awful it it really has kind of broken my heart this was my favorite place to kind of mix up real-time news and reactions and it's completely unreliable in in any kind of in, in any situation now Um, Let let me just kind of see if there were (laughs) Michael Corcoran. Yeah, that V50 video was right up my alley. I I don't think my daughter's going to care. She started talking recently, like, well, some kids my age have cell phones. And you're like, nah, not really, but you're not getting one. But I genuinely don't think she really cares about any of this technology stuff. I think in part because she's surrounded by it at home. It's not exciting or novel. It's daddy got a new phone. (sighs) And she makes fun of me over it. So um, I'll be curious to see, like, when, when her social groups are starting to take off and they're sort of staging their own conversations, what she'll do. Um... <laughs> please tell me that's an actual quote. Simon says, Hypno. I have no idea yet. Someone please confirm for me if this is. Elon Musk, quote, I have no mercy for anyone who would use the deaths of children for gain, power, or fame. Also, Elon Musk, quote, I'm reinstating Alex Jones' account on the week of the anniversary of the Sandy Hook massacre. Yeah, there is no justification for this action. None. Except I want to make more money by ginning up more conversation, more controversy and getting people uh, outraged. It's outrage porn. Go Star Scream. How is it every time when Muskie changes something about Twitter to get rid of the bots, it in fact does the opposite. Those are the only new follows I'm getting now. Are the most obvious scam and porn bots. Like there is no reason for me to keep working to try and make my make my content more visible on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, Al Sabakli. I think there. We'll see. Al says, "I don't see Twitter surviving in the medium to long term based on Musk's record." I think there is going to be a functional website, the X dot com, for years to come. But the community died as soon as Elon Musk took over. It's um, it's just gross, <laughs> Dave. you're you're on Mastodon too. So Dave says, don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back there on Mastodon, Juan. I'm telling you, that is my safe space now. Even threads is starting to get a little of that Twitter toxicity. Uh, I've been mixing it up a lot on threads recently. I go to Mastodon and it's just these lovely mega geeks, like the ultra nerd. And I'm getting back into conversations talking about, FOSS and coding and I have no desire to get back into computer science. I was a terrible coder, but someone will post something. You're like, Oh, actually I know how to do that. And it gets that little, those creative juices flowing. So anyway, we've spent too much time talking about Twitter already. Um, another just interesting development because uh, I stream this on Twitch. It's not like I'm, I'm able to escape the clutches of massive trillion dollar corporations. Um, but I did think it was kind of interesting to see Twitch exits from South Korea, his latest fallout from Sending Party Pays model. This is coming by way of my man crush, uh, John Brodkin, over at Ars, Technic- uh, over at Ars Technica. Uh, network fees in Korea 10 times more expensive than in most countries. Um, Amazon-owned Twitch plans to stop providing its streaming platform in South Korea, saying fees charged by network operators make it impossible to run the service without a significant loss in in the country. Shutdown is scheduled for February 27, 2024. Twitch CEO Dan Clancy announced on Tuesday, transmitting data in Korea is, quote, prohibitively expensive, end quote, despite the company's efforts to reduce data rate usages. Um, this is the, full, the, the rest of his quote here. First, we experimented with a peer-to-peer model for source quality. Then we adjusted source quality to a maximum of 720p. While we have lowered costs from these efforts, our network fees in Korea are still 10 times more expensive than in most other countries. Twitch has been operating in Korea at a significant loss, and unfortunately there is no pathway forward for our business to run run more sustainably in that country. So uh, one of the things I couldn't get a good handle on are the user demographics of... Because I would have to imagine that game streaming is likely even bigger in South Korea than, uh, like, here in the United States. And especially the the sort of entire Asia-Pacific area of the world. The celebrity of esports is at a higher tier than here for Western audiences um, here in, in, in the United States. And so I, I, I didn't, I couldn't quite get a good handle on what some of the other competitors to a Twitch might be, but I would have to imagine there are probably more streamer opportunities than just Twitch or YouTube where we sort of bifurcated that conversation here I mean, a few people will pop up and be like, I'm streaming on Facebook. And you're like, that's not a thing. Um, But (laughs) it's kind of tough to get a handle on what is the competition. And you always sort of wonder, like, in the back of my brain, I always sort of wonder, like, is there an element of a more local solution for streaming gamer content? Are network operators encouraged to maybe prioritize the traffic from a a homegrown streaming solution as opposed to letting Twitch come in from outside the market. Again, like I don't know what the rules in South Korea might be for something like net neutrality or if there's some kind of, uh, you know, different broadband licensing for streaming content. So I, I just, uh... <laughs> Dave. Oh, come on. We, we moved on. Twitter is a video platform. Now, Juan, why aren't you posting those full reviews on twitter.com? uh dave burns this doesn't make sense name the rates or are they mad that they are forced to pay utility fees um see i don't know i am sort of formatting all of this conversation in my brain based on what we've gone through with united states telecoms And I have to believe that the South Korean market is radically different than how we do business here in the United States. It, It honestly could be legit. If they prioritize traffic or if you have to pay to not get throttled in the way that we used to talk about Verizon and Netflix here in the United States, then, yeah, I could see where it would be prohibitively expensive for Twitch to operate while those same carriers and ISPs were giving preferential treatment to different platforms. So this one, I think, is kind of interesting to keep an eye on because we're also going to be seeing um, there's going to be a push in the EU and here in the United States to put more of the burden on network and infrastructure costs on platforms that distribute content. You know, if it's video content or if it's game streaming or any of these things that are slightly more bandwidth intensive. And I think South Korea is, is going to become our canary in the coal mine. What happens there and how this plays out with other uh, streaming options? I think we're going to have to take a a close look at follow-up conversations in the EU and then also whether or not the two main telecom lobbyists here in the United States can pressure lawmakers to open the door for additional fees on services and platforms that operate on the Internet. Again, we have never done a good job of holding to a clarification of the internet as a communications network or a telecommunications. Is it an information service or is it a communication service? We get all into those net neutrality conversations, but if we don't want to see sort of unfair triple dip price hikes on services like Twitch, then we also need to join these conversations with entities like the FCC. So, uh, just an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, a- alongside that, um, I- I've started reading 404 Media a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the 404 Media, um, but I got two articles this week. First, catching the stories from 404. The first one, just kind of another social engineering security exploit. It doesn't matter how good your protections are, how well you can safeguard your own data, Um, especially with the incredible amount of information that a carrier might have on everything that you do with your mobile devices. Uh, This story was a little disappointing. Verizon gave phone data to armed stalker who posed as a cop over email. Again, this is from 404, 404 Media written up by Joseph Cox. Um, mm -mm. The FBI investigated a man who allegedly posed as a police officer in emails and phone calls to trick Verizon to hand over phone data belonging to a specific person that the suspect met on the dating section of porn site X Hamster, according to a newly unsealed court document. Despite the relatively unconvincing cover story concocted by the suspect, including the use of a clearly non-government ProtonMail email address... Verizon handed over the victim's data to the alleged stalker, including the address and phone logs. The stalker then went on to threaten the victim and ended up driving to where he believed the victim lived while armed with a knife, according to the record. So, I'm going to stitch this together as quickly as I can, but I want to say it was almost two years ago now. We talked about the FTC report on how much information carriers and ISPs collect on all their users. We can be really analytical and comparative about iPhone security versus Android security, and it does not matter when your Internet connection is soaking up everything you do. And then that information is often getting dumped into buckets and sold off as sort of aggregate data. And we also saw in the middle of the Trump presidency that data was very easily purchased on open markets and they could very quickly identify patterns of behavior where they could track the Secret Service members of the Trump security detail. Right now, our carriers and ISPs are very forward and there's a very open relationship between entities that monitor all of our data and working with law enforcement and i feel this is a very clear indication of someone said they were a cop verizon rolled over and gave them data and we need to be so much more critical about that kind of information handling Again, I feel like Verizon at some point needs to comply with search warrants. You know, if a, if a law enforcement entity can go to a judge, say there's probable cause, draft this legal document, go to the carrier, and then get information backed on the usage or patterns of behavior, but we also need to see an FTC and an FCC that get in there and say, this is what the relationship looks like and can properly educate consumers as to what's going on with all of your information, what's going on with all of your data. This is terrible. This is a bad look for Verizon's uh, sort of data security policies because they should have been just a little bit more stringent with how they gave up this information, and it could have led to something really awful happening. Um, I feel like we need to kind of rebuild just some, some of the barriers... (laughs) Between these entities, between private corporations and and government uh, agencies, we can we can always kind of sit back and say like oh you know we you know everything you uh, Snowden said spying and NSA we don't want to see the actual practical daily aspects of how this hurts people. We'd like to get ahead of that conversation, but Four Oh Four Media did a banger job of writing this all up. Uh, just another quick uh, story that I, wanna, I want us to keep an eye on. I'm so exhausted talking about blue bubbles and green bubbles. But as we're talking about Apple getting RCS, I think we can all point to some of the pressure placed on these, uh, these corporations by regulators, especially regulators in the EU. And I think this is also reflective of Meta of Facebook getting ahead of some of these changes. This is coming by way of Engadget, written up by Will Shanklin. Meta is disconnecting Messenger and Instagram chat later this month. Meta didn't say why, but the EU's Digital Markets Act could be the culprit. Announced in 2019, the optional cross-platform integration went live a year later, blurring the lines between two of the company's most uh, popular services. Quote, just like today, you could talk to a Gmail account if you have a Yahoo account. These accounts will be able to talk to each other through the shared protocol that is Messenger. Messenger VP Loredana Crisson said at the time. I don't. I don't think I've ever tried to say that name out loud. So this was coming hot and heavy. Uh, we were hearing um, Elizabeth Warren talking talking about trying to break up some of these big companies, and it seemed like at the time Facebook was in this mad rush to staple all of their services together to make it uh, significantly more difficult to break them apart. I'm kind of curious if anyone, um, if anyone here noticed any kind of change in how they were using Instagram chat with Facebook messenger. Now, is this something that is going to impact the way that you talk with family or friends? Um, if you have any comments on that, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see. I have worked really hard not to get too much of my family overly invested in in like WhatsApp, for example. After I tried to get all my family over on Hangouts and I was really successful, we were all using Hangouts and it was great. And then Google burned us so bad and none of us had any interest in moving over to Allo. Um, I really feel like the, the name Google's naming was the big problem. If they had just changed all of the underlying code and just said, Oh, this is new hangouts, like new Coke, then we wouldn't have had any issues, but it was just really proper dumb. How Google burned down the, uh, the, the, the sort of, uh, momentum, the goodwill of having a standalone messenger here in the United States. So, now all of my family and friends have been reluctant to get overly invested in a WhatsApp or a Telegram or a Signal. For WhatsApp, it's because it's inevitably linked with uh, Facebook data. But then also for these other services, like I don't want to get super involved in Telegram. What if Telegram disappears one day? Or what if they change owners and then there are terrible things done with my data? So it's it's been... It's been a trying <laughs> aspect of all of this, um, but seeing them sort of, sort of split this out, I feel like that is some indication that the EU regulations are probably scaring a lot of these big tech firms. Kappa Cash says Elizabeth Warren wasn't happy uh, yeah, blah, blah. Blah. Elizabeth Warren wasn't happy that Apple blocked Beeper Mini. I know a lot of us weren't happy. Um, But I think it was pretty clear that Apple was gonna do it. I'm actually shocked that it took Apple as long as it did. But I don't really feel like talking much about Beeper Mini right now because I exhausted all of that on threads. And let me tell you, you want to say, like, Apple fanboys are, like, so much more chill? (laughs) As soon as you touch on, like, the one thing here in the United States that iPhones have over Androids, boy, howdy, do they come out ugly to fight anyone who is in the least critical of the blue bubble, green bubble, bullying situation. It is hilarious how fast they tell on themselves for being kind of despicable people. (laughs) Hold on, let me take a drink of water. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So, here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Hey everyone, this is Zach of Zach Talks Tech. If you're looking to make sense of the tech that you love, if you're looking for an un filtered opinion. Someone who's just straight to the gun, gets right to it. No nonsense. Come on over to Zach Talks Tech. I stream three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9.15pm Eastern, and then I cut up clips of that show, and I throw them out there for you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But if you want to be part of the live show, check it out Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday Fridays at nine fifteen PM Eastern. Check it out. Zach Talks Tech on YouTube. That's Z A K T A L K S T E C H, or as they they call it up here in Canada, it could also be Z <laughs> Z A K T A L K S T E C H. Check them out on all the socials. We'll see you there. Ah, boy, all weekend I was kind of fielding like, oh, I'm glad Androids suck. <laughs> You're terrible people. Please. Keep giving me the ammunition I need to show other iPhone users in my circles, like, these are the people that speak for you. (laughs) Enjoy your phone. Bye. Um, Moving right along, this is just another one that is going to be yet another sort of uh, increasing uh, situation, a situation that we're going to see a lot more of. Man, if you're using services like YouTube and TikTok and... It's just uh, increasingly in this age, as every company is trying to impress shareholders uh, with conversations about AI. And it feels like the next crypto NFT rug pull, because I don't see where the AI market is really going to be sustainable for profitability, medium or long term. Not in the way that we're kind of highlighting and promoting it today. I hope that we see some of these aspects mature into functional and useful co-pilot tools for people to aid in their creation and to minimize the busy work that they have during the day. Um, But right now, it just, I don't see it. It is an incredible amount of power and electricity consumption and resource management and computing products to deliver some interesting but mostly mediocre regurgitation of stuff that humans can still do better. One of those things, though, the TikTok dancing apparently is not that hard to sort of replicate and recreate. So this is again, this is the second story that I caught first from 404 Media written up by Samantha Cole. Alibaba's Animate Anyone is trained on scraped videos of famous TikTokers. Uh, A team of researchers from Chinese retail and technology giant Alibaba released a paper this week detailing a new model, which they call Animate Anyone. The reaction online to this generally has been R.I.P. TikTokers. The suggested implication being that dancing TikTok content creators will soon be replaced by AI. Um, And they have some little examples here, like this AI is really good at sort of, uh, sort of understanding a wireframe model of a human body and then, uh, taking a still image and putting that wireframe model onto the still image. So the, the thing that I'm playing here live is an Iron Man picture with a wireframe model, and then you can make the wireframe model do these little dances. And it seems to understand the, the sort of aspects of, the the characters. So now with a little extra 3D modeling software, you can create something really, really quickly. And as we've seen, like this is part of the conversation that we've seen from like, uh, uh, Google's tools on the pixel, something like magic eraser was always possible in Photoshop, but someone would have to get in there and actually sort of draw whatever was behind what you erased. So there's a person, you know, who's distracting in your photo and you sort of wipe your finger. Magic eraser looks at that, erases the person and then tries to fill in what the background would have been. I have done that in Photoshop and in GIMP. I I use GIMP now these days. But now we've got these sort of content aware fill tools that radically abbreviate that process. Now... The tool set to take a wireframe model and apply it to any image of anyone that you want is the the barrier to entry is significantly lower than it used to be. So we see this on one side of the frame. There was recently that story, I I should have linked it in the, I should have collected the link just to show it, but uh, there was the, the story that came out about an AI singer, which it's not awful. It's it's not a good song, but the 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 lyrics were written by AI, the music was composed by AI, the image of the singer is like a still image that was then animated by AI, was drawn and animated by AI, and the lyrics are kind of hilariously apocalyptic like burn it all down, I need help. I mean, it's just like to hear that language come out of a machine is a little disconcerting. Why is it that whenever we create an AI, it's like, I'm in pain, help me. Oh no, burn it all down. <laughs> it's like so quick to get to apocalypse. <laughs> so we're seeing all these pieces. I've, and, and I forget, I, man, I really should have done a better job of cataloging this. There was another story that came out about, th- th- there was like a, an influencer marketing team that got tired of working with influencers. So they're making their own AI influencer. So now we've got tools to just animate someone dancing. We've got all of these tools that are putting out almost competent pop songs. And we've got uh, advertising agencies that are sort of flirting with, we can create a brand around an identity that is wholly artificial and we have complete control over the usage, distribution, and likeness of this entity. Like, there's no other copyright. We own this cartoon of an influencer, and now we don't have to work with human influencers that are much more expensive and can be difficult to work with. And, yeah, to a a degree, this entire idea of the influencer influencer economy is facing the most... uh, uh sort of competition in this space right now it's it's getting pretty incredible the lengths some companies are going to to invest in these technologies to abbreviate some of the production but then also separate themselves from some of the humans that were kind of responsible for creating this market in the first place um, yeah, t Bubs. I love Upload. t Bubs says, have you seen the show Upload on Amazon Prime? I think you would enjoy that along with seeing and raising some of the weird problems we could be running into with AI. It's a really fun show. I mean, I think they do a pretty good job of talking about some of the, uh, some of the philosophical, uh, uh issues with your ability, like if we could properly, back up the consciousness of a human onto a computer and make a digital representation of that individual. It's a really fun show because it's still, it's examining in good science fiction. It's kind of examining what that means, but it's mostly a comedy, a dramedy, you know, comedy drama. Um, It really is a fun show to watch. Um, I'm same. I'm also still working through season three. So it's, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, well, to, I, I'm really curious to see how the season wraps. Please, no spoilers. <laughs> I know other people have already finished it. Um, we kind of got sidetracked. My wife and I needed just really dumb cotton candy. So for a couple nights, we just streamed Obliterated. And it's not a good show, but it's dumb funny. Is kind of the best way I could put it. it it's, a, it's from the same team that I think kicked off the first season of Cobra Kai. I don't know if they did all the seasons of Cobra Kai. And the characters in the show are... It it feels like that era of web series where they were almost functional television shows on the internet. But the budget for Obliterated is almost television quality. But the writing, the inconsistency in the writing, some of the terrible setups, like really dumb decisions by characters that only further the plot... Um, some of the way that like characters interact and hooks and twists and stuff like that. It's, it's not good, (laughs) but we just needed something like I'm going to drink bourbon and watch something terrible. It's like fast food. I just needed a fast food cheeseburger and that's exactly what it was. So we're going to get back to upload and tackling some of the heavier conversations in that dramedy soon. Um, let me, let me get this out of the way here. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it a lot though. Um, Dave Burns, AI is going to be really good at gigifying traditional, described skilled labor, and anyone arguing otherwise is disingenuous or a great potential mark for AI shills and scammers. I'm going to be really curious to see because, like, I can I, I can totally appreciate the businesses that are like, hey, we want to use AI to cut out more people from the production flow and have more profits and more control over this stuff. But after a point, all of that backfires on the companies that hold the IP. So they're going to have to lobby really hard to have laws that are totally one way. We want to be able to rip off all these other people, but we don't want anyone to rip us off. And I'm sure, they can, I'm sure Disney can get that done. But I'm going to be really curious to see how, how they might get that done. So uh, Ted is trying to keep me on track here. Uh, Good morning. What's this about the end of Xperia phones? Well, Ted, I'm glad you asked. So this is coming by way of notebook check. This is one of my favorite lines of smartphones right now. And I'm getting really anxious about what some of these rumors might, might, uh, might be pointing towards. So let me uh, screen share this article here. Written up by Daniel Deacon. Exmer- I said Xmeria wow, that's bad, Xperia line may be mothballed as Sony rumored to be eyeing up phone with under-display camera by 2025. Uh, There has already been a camera-related rumor concerning the Xperia 1 Mark VI, but it appears there might not even be an Xperia name used in the future. This has previously been, there has previously been some suggestion that Sony may, might be ready to shake up its smartphone future, and the Xperia line has a solid 15 years of existence to its name. While it would be very hard to imagine Apple giving up its valuable iPhone brand or Samsung waving goodbye to the Galaxy name, Sony could actually get away with introducing a brand, a new brand to its smartphone portfolio. So, um, there were some leaks and rumors about the Xperia 1 Mark Six, but moving forward, the the one of the big rumors is... Sony potentially using under-screen technology for the front-facing camera, and that this could dovetail with uh, a change in the phone lineup, if if nothing else, a brand change, a brand name change. But if they do that, I would be anxious that one of the things that they would do would be to start carving away at what made Xperia unique. So if you're already changing up the forehead and chin bezel, Well, you don't need to worry about how the speakers are arranged as much. You don't have that bezel there. We have an under-display selfie camera, so we can kind of do away with some of that space at the top of the phone. And, you know, maybe we also just squeeze out, like, uh, we get rid of the headphone jack. You know, they're one of the only companies that still supports that. Well, it's time. You know, even Sony acknowledges that it's time to get rid of this incredibly useful feature that is a boon to content consumption and is wonderful for content creation, but, you know, maybe you just need to buy some XM6 earbuds instead. So that's where we're getting a little anxious. I don't know how much stock I would put into this rumor, but we did see that Sony scaled way back on the Xperia 5 Mark V. They did not release that phone here in the United States, It seems increasingly that their core market is Japan and China, with some some, uh, momentum left in the EU, Uh, but even the Xperia mid-rangers haven't gotten many exciting upgrades or updates. They, They seem kind of iterative, like they're not doing a whole lot to really make the brand seem much more exciting. It's like the Xperia One is a flagship phone, their crown jewel, it's an amazing device, But they seem to be slow playing how they work throughout the rest of the market. So I feel some of those moves, and especially the Xperia 5 move, help lend a little credence to the idea that we could be looking at a change. And if they change the brand name, they change what that sort of represents, I would not be surprised if some of those features and functionality that I really point to on an Xperia, like SD card expansion and a headphone jack it would be the right time to get rid of it because you're starting fresh. This is a fresh take on what Sony thinks is a premium tier phone for 2026. I don't want that to happen, but I'm honestly kind of shocked that Sony has been the last holdout with the audio division that they still maintain. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it maybe didn't happen a little bit sooner. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, oh, John Gout. The original source for view is rather about changing the series name, not 1 or 5 or 10 series, but not the Xperia master brand name. So that could also be just another sort of way to refine. Um, I've never had issues with the names of Xperia phones. I, I am a literate and competent adult that can understand patterns, like one number coming after another number, and I've also worked in photography for so long that I understand the bigger the number gets, the lower quality the camera is like, this has always been a function of like Canon cameras. For example, we don't have issues going. It's a Canon 7d or a Canon 80d or like, that's always made sense. So I've never gotten to this idea that somehow it's Suspiria's. are so hard to understand how names work. Um, But maybe they're taking that criticism to heart and years after we've complained, uh, other tech reviewers have complained about it, they're going to address that too. I really hope that the Xperia keeps its position as sort of the last anti-iPhone-style phone available. Um, But by the time we get to 2026, I would not be surprised if that's something that changes, if they eventually sort of get on board some of these other industry moves and we, they put pressure on their consumers to do things like buy more expensive accessories like Bluetooth earbuds. Yeah. Aditya again, it there's so much we don't know, but this makes sense to me. That might be their play. Scrap the five line, replace it with the fancy mainstream consumer phone and keep the one as the Xperia enthusiast phone. Moving those parts around probably isn't a terrible idea. It's kind of what worked for the LG Velvet was sort of minimizing the differences between like a K series entry level phone and a, a G series more premium phone, and coming up with kind of a much better I take, a much better take on a mid ranger. And maybe that's what they need to do with the Xperia Five. It's an expensive phone. It is a high quality premium phone. But the whole stigma on having a smaller phone being cheaper doesn't really work for Sony, and it definitely doesn't play here in the United States. And Umar, the the other source, Sumaho Digest, I don't know, I've never said that out loud either, um, is very inaccurate, so I take this rumor with a grain of salt. And I, again, it's rumor. I don't like pointing to rumors as any kind of, like, bank on it strategy, but... There are a couple other outside decisions from Sony recently and how they relate to the North American market, where I would not be surprised if we saw some greater change coming in the next two years. Um, Yeah, Michael Corcoran, even the LG was moving away from the headphone jack uh, with the V70, if it ever released, or the Velvet 2 Pro. And the Velvet 2 Pro was basically a non-swiveling LG wing, and it lost the headphone jack and I've been trying to still get my hands on one. Like, I'm just kind of morbidly curious about what the what the Velvet 2 Pro was, was going to be like. But it definitely wouldn't have had the same kind of attachment for me that my V60 or my V50 have had. So uh, I want to do just two quick little teasers here. I didn't have anything much to say about the Game Awards. Um, back when I was still working at Newegg, that was content that we would have jumped on, would have made a whole bunch of videos about maybe our list of our favorite games or game of the year type situations increasingly i kind of I'm getting more and more cynical about award shows in general, but the game awards for me is like if I can tune in, I'll keep it on in the background um I thought it was hilarious that like the contests this year, it was a Steam Deck, OLED, and a Lenovo uh, portable consoles. Like, their website was non-functional the second those contest pages went live. So there wasn't any grand hook for me to, like, try and score a Lenovo. I'm still happy with my LCD Steam Deck. It's right over there. It's great. Um, But around the same time, we got a whole flurry of game announcements. And there were two specifically that I wanted to uh to just highlight real quick um two developers and and two games that I am obsessively interested in so now uh the first one is from the developers behind Dead Cells you have seen Dead Cells in so many of my videos I adore Dead Cells it is maybe one of the all-time best action platformer roguelite style games it is a precision combat platformer that has the best feel of any of any sort of 2d game that i've ever played if you still have not played dead cells do yourself a favor and pick up dead cells you can get it on any platform as you've also seen it plays amazingly well on android in fact, if you can land a proper gaming phone, Android is one of the few places outside of having like a beefy PC that will play Dead Cells at like 120 frames per second. I mean What do I have? I, like my Red Magic. This phone goes nuclear hot. Um, I know how to pronounce nuclear. I just do that for dramatic effect. But Dead Cells is running over 100 frames per second on my old Red Magic. And it's gorgeous. Sorry, Tangent. Uh, They have a new game coming out, which I am stupid anxious for. It's called Windblown, and now it's uh, available to Wishlist on Steam, and they have a teaser website that I'm trying to show you. And this looks like sort of the live-die-repeat accessibility of... I want to make sure I don't blast the music there. Um, The live-die-repeat accessibility of Dead Cells, but with... uh, a style of game mechanic that's a little bit more like Hades. So instead of it being a 2D action platformer, Metroid style game, uh, it's more, I want to get into, there we go. I'm just going to skip some of this animated stuff. So it is a much faster sort of burst, jump, dash, attack, uh, more of a 3D view, isometric kind of view, uh, you know, familiar with games like Diablo, that kind of top-down, but like Hades, you are dashing quick into attacks and combinations. And if they can have the kind of precision in that game mechanic that we saw from Dead Cells for a 2D mechanic, then I think this game is going to be insane. I just kind of want to show that initial dash one more time. I am stupid excited to see what these developers can do with this style of gameplay. Because Hades is also one of my all-time favorite games. I've burned dozens and dozens of hours on Hades on my Steam Deck, also. So uh, that's that's windblown. You can now wish list it on Steam, and it looks delicious. I am so excited to see what they're going to do. Now, the other game that I, I that also kind of came out is uh, that, that came out the teaser that came out. This is a, uh, a preview for Thrasher. Um, I'm going to stop screen stare here for just a sec. Okay. One of my other just guilty pleasure games is Thumper. Uh, you've also seen that in a few of my videos. I don't play it as much on mobile anymore, but it was a game that for a while there, I would keep a VR headset accessible just because I loved playing Thumper in VR. Uh, Thumper is a very simple track rhythm game. So you're like this little floating space beetle flying through this Um nightmarish world of musical combat violence. Uh, there's nothing explicit or or gory or grotesque. Like there's not like blood and guts or traditional gore. It's just a very unsettling world to be on, and you're sort of forced to fly through space on this one path and it is it's like every little part of your journey is its own mini track and until you complete that track you can't go on it has this very nightmarish quality to it and it's just this quick twitch rhythm you've got to nail the combinations in exactly the right way it's an incredible game yet another one of those that i think was a little underrated in just how brilliant the VR experience can be, just for separating you from reality. It's almost like Tetris Effect, where you're still playing Tetris, you just have an enclosed space around your head. You're sort of floating in a nebulous void of Tetraminos falling from the top of a, of a guide. Thumper was almost that good. In finding your flow state and listening to the music and seeing this imagery, it's just really, really pretty. Um, So, let me go back into this. So, Thrasher looks to be of sort of a similar artistic style. I kind of want to play this again. From the artist and composer of Thumper. We see the same sort of, like, uh, esoteric animation style. Um, Less so with just the exact kind of rhythm twitch mechanics. This is a little bit more of picking up a VR controller to navigate... What looks like kind of a spiny worm-like creature thing, again, through very nightmarish, um, sort of almost 1980s uh, hyperwave color environments. So vibrant and colorful, and I would imagine that the music and the rhythm of this would be, would be pretty intense. So just another developer that I've, I've genuinely enjoyed what they bring to a video game experience. And if it kind of has any of the quick live, die, repeat hook that Thumper had, because that's another thing too, is like you die in Thumper and you're immediately back on this track. And the game is just sort of unrelenting. If, if Thrasher can can ha- latch onto or can achieve some of that same pressure on the player, I'm gonna be I- I- I'm gonna be hooked. I'm gonna be stuck on that game pretty 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 bad. Uh, let me take another quick drink of uh, water here, and we can uh, we can kind of move over and start talking Aiku. Oh, and I missed like a whole conversation about other phones and Pixel Sixes and and Android 14 and stuff like that. But yeah, um I didn't I didn't find um I didn't find like the Game Awards was that exciting. I I kinda had some of it on and I felt like they just sort of rushed the speeches and there were lots of ads. That's kind of the whole point. You watch the game awards is to see all these game trailers, but around the the sort of uh, announcements around the game awards. I caught those two specifically and you're like, oh yeah, those two games were like genetically grown in labs for Juan to burn hundreds of hours on his steam deck. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Thrasher and on windblown. So uh, as we kind of get into the last half hour here, uh, we, we had some questions earlier, earlier on in the chat. Uh, if, if folks are still tuning in, please kind of come back with some of those. Uh, some of them I I can't remember. I'm sorry. I'm exhausted and my brain is leaking like a sieve, but I, I I have gone hands on. We've been spending a little quality time with the IQ 12. This is my first experience with the Snapdragon HN three. I'm benchmarking it like crazy. And I hope to have my, by the benchmarks article posted on Patreon, hopefully tomorrow, maybe tomorrow morning. Um, same same test, a little Geekbench scores just to kind of put the phone into perspective. And then uh, video rendering and editing, audio podcast mixing, uh, video trimming on Google Photos. And then uh, RAR compression, batch photo processing, stabilization tests. And the phone's a champ. I mean, I don't think anyone should be too surprised that uh, a Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 is a top performer in pocket computer land. But I am going to tease that it is not indomitable. If you are messing around with some of the better premium phones rocking Dimensity 9200s and Snapdragon 8 Gen 2s, then the IQ isn't always winning showdowns against last year's chip. A part of that could be optimization. Again, software has not started looking for Snapdragon 8 Gen 3s. App developers aren't tapping into what makes the 8 Gen 3 unique. And we should also expect to see some performance uplifts when iKu gets some uh, updates and some polish and support out to this phone. But year over year, as we start testing the new chip against the old chip, some of these numbers are probably a lot closer than people might have expected. And when we see Geekbench scores where it's like, oh, it's a 20% improvement. Okay, but I'm not seeing a 20% improvement in this task. And in this task, I see the IQ actually loses. So you didn't get more performance. You got less good performance. And and this kind of sparks one of the conversations. Like I'm gonna have a lot to say specifically about the IQ, but I've been anxious about Qualcomm I'm really anxious about MediaTek. I appreciate that we need to keep selling bigger number every year. The manufacturers for these phones are looking at some of these metrics like Antutu scores. And they know in the tech press, they're going to get savaged if they put out a phone with the same Antutu score as what the phone the year before could put out. Why even buy it? It's the same performance. Oh, that's so dumb. But what we saw with the 8 Gen 2 this year in 2023, the exciting part of it wasn't that the phone was so much more powerful. The phones using it were so much more powerful. The exciting part was the phones were more powerful and they used so much less battery power than the phones released the year before. Going from 2022 to 2023, we saw performance uplifts, but we saw a significant return to a much better performance per watt. Battery life got better. Thermals got better. Consistency got better. You could operate at a higher tier of performance for longer. If you wanted to game, if you wanted to edit video, if you wanted to work on large spreadsheets, everything got better and the battery life got better. Like, I I, I need to point this out. I'm trying to do a video on how much I still don't like wireless charging. And one of the data points I'm going to use is the OnePlus 11. The OnePlus 11 does not have wireless charging. It has proper fast charging. Um, 80 watt fast charging, depending on where you live. So my battery was at 80%. This, This phone's dead now. I mean, like I ran it all the way down to a low battery warning. To run it all the way down to a low battery warning, the 5000 milliamp hour battery and the 8 Gen 2 were too power efficient for me to do this quickly. So, what I set up was split screen, playing video, and running Geekbench tests back to back to back to back at maximum screen brightness on the OnePlus 11. I'm gonna pause here for just a second to get another drink of water. With 80% charge, how long do you think it took to get to my 5% battery warning, streaming video in half the screen so the screen would never turn off, and constantly looping Geekbench with the battery setting at high performance? So this is also running the HN2 as hot as it possibly could go. How long do you think that took? I'm going to drink some water. I want to see some numbers in the chat. You can describe that in terms of minutes, or you can describe that in terms of hours. But what do you think I had to do? How long do you think I was here in my office poking the reset button on Geekbench before the phone finally crapped out on me? Please discuss. I I got a drink. My my voice is starting to go. And remember, at 80%, this is not a full charge. Okay. Starting to get some answers in. I'm going to kind of keep waiting here. Let's see. People are talking about other stuff. I have asked a very specific question here. Let, let's see. Okay, so we got a few answers. So Ghost scream is saying, I'd say six to seven hours. I mean, think, think about, this is all screen on time, too. So where were we were from 2022 to 2023 with screen on time? Six to seven hours. Uh, Aslan is saying three hours. Simon says Hypno isn't contributing to the conversation. Ron Guido says 6.75 hours. It's very specific. You, you must enjoy Prices Right. Uh, Otaku is saying two, Aditi and Nil is saying 3.6, Malik is saying 15 minutes. Um, let's see. I Can't say. Wait. No, no, no. Not half brightness. Full brightness. So maximum brightness on the phone, streaming video, running Geekbench, and under the high performance mode. And Simon says, Hypno says eight hours. So. I need to kind of highlight this because I set this up. So I guess you guys are expecting like magic. We kind of freak out when a phone has like eight hours of screen on time, right? So I'm going to, re- I'm going to re- re- reiterate split screen, maximum brightness on the screen, which you usually don't test max brightness for a screen on time measurement, streaming video, running GeekBenches back to back to back to back under the phone's highest performance mode. I got, in at 80% battery, it took me five hours to run down the OnePlus 11. Almost five complete hours of screen on time, constantly looping GeekBench scores. It took forever to drain this phone. And if I, if it had been fully charged, it would have been 25% longer to cap that phone. I would have had almost another hour of screen on time with a full charge. So we're closing in on over six hours of constant Geekbench testing at its highest performance tier with the screen never dimming on the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. I think that's pretty remarkable because that is absolutely not the kind of testing we ever do when we try to say, what is battery life on this phone? What, What is it like to use the phone? Average consumers using the phone you would never test that way because no one is sitting there looping the most like processor intensive work on their phone in these little burst batch tests at maximum screen brightness um, while also trying to stream video. The other thing I want to point out, there was only about an, a five to 8% performance difference in Geekbench scores. Over five hours of Geekbench testing, I did not have a score, a single core CPU score that dipped under 1900. So I also think that whatever OnePlus is doing to maintain high performance, it is doing a very good job of maintaining that high performance. So I bring this up just to kind of point out what I'm starting to see on IQ 11 and where I'm a little anxious with phones that are really set to launch throughout 2024 with the 8 Gen 3 and the Dimensity 9300, I don't know that I'm expecting the same kind of performance per watt. Some of this early testing, we're going to get into the specifics when I finally post all of my notes up on Patreon.com slash What One of the things I'm getting a little anxious at are seeing some of those really incredible performance uplifts these huge gpu scores some of the gaming performance on this is absolutely incredible i was playing alien isolation at a hundred frames per second can't do that on a steam deck (laughs) it looks so good Alien Isolation, not like a, a gimmicky mobile version. This is the the proper port, Alien Isolation on Android. You can unlock above sixty frames per second on a phone with an HN3. The phone starts running real toasty, but it didn't drop. Like the frame rates hovered between high nineties, and uh, I think my peak frame rate was one ten, not sustained but a peak of 110 with an average of, I think, just just above 100 frames per second. And that was for 30 minutes of gameplay, and it just never looked like it was going to stop. But I did notice how that started chipping into my battery. <laughs> so I think this next year is going to be a really incredible uh, conversation on 2023 flagship phones versus 2024 premium tier options. I do a much better job of summing this up at the end of my OPPO Find X6 Pro camera review. We're going to be making some compromises for things like sensor size, but using new sensor technologies to get brighter images. One of the big hooks on Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 and Dimensity 9300 is AI tech. So if you're not as interested in language learning model, generative AI, that kind of stuff on your phone, you should really look at some of the ultra tier devices from 2023, probably get comparable camera performance just using different sensor sizes versus different sensor technologies. And you'll end up with a phone that is nearly equal in the highest tiers of performance outside of gaming But at a at a power draw that is significantly lower. Some of my early back of the napkin math at times maybe close to 15% better battery performance under heavy load against a Snapdragon H N3. So you get close and you can run 15 to 20% longer using an H N2. That's rambly, I'll have like PowerPoint graphs and bar graphs and charts and some of my early measurements. I I try to put all of those into those benchmark posts. They're some of the least popular content that I produce. Um, But the actual head-to-head on this is so much more nuanced than I was expecting. The the GPU improvements here are absolutely insane. I, I, I mean, like I'm pulling off gaming performance on decently optimized Android games, and we have to say decently optimized because we know no one optimizes for Android like they do for iOS. And this is outpacing like my uh, 1660 Super. <laughs> like I've got a GPU in my mini gaming PC behind my TV that cannot put out this kind of performance. In a pocket computer <laughs> that has this teeny little mini phone battery in it. I have a a, a Core i9 Ninth gen nook with a sixteen sixty super gpu the the sixteen sixty super GPU by itself is probably drawing what like if a phone is going to tap out at like six six watts, what was the TDP on the sixteen sixty super was it a hundred watt gPU twenty times the power. <laughs> It's consuming 20 times more power to put out fewer frames in a game like Alien Isolation. <laughs> I don't have that math right. I think it's probably worse. I, I think at full load, I wouldn't be surprised with the 16. I need to look it up now. Uh, TDP1660 Super GPU. I, 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 I need to know. Because, like, a phone now is freakishly power thirsty if it starts hitting, like, 8 to 10 watts. So, what is the TDP render config? Oh, let me just search in on the page. Find TDP. 125 watts! Okay, I wasn't too far off. I said 100 watts. I, I was way far off. That's, that's 25% off. Um, 25% wrong. A phone is designed to kind of hit 8 watts. (laughs) Total system power draw. It's getting real warm if it cracks into like 8 to 10 watt power draw for a phone. The GPU in my Nook, just the GPU, not the whole system, is a 125 watt part when it's being used at full load. I am getting better, sustained high frame rate performance in games like Alien: Isolation on an iQ12, where it is probably starting to eke into eight to ten watt power draw. It is hot when you are gaming when you're playing Alien: Isolation at that frame rate. Um, so what 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 is that? Let's say it does crack into ten. It's twelve times more efficient. <laughs> than my gaming pc man this stuff is getting so good and we're not really putting it head to head in ways that i think consumers would understand like you have so much more compute power in your pocket than you probably need over the course of your whole day you just need some better apps to make use of it because this is this is insane (laughs) All right. Uh, if there are any specific questions, I, we, you can talk about IQ 12. I've been starting to shoot on it. It's very um, Vivo-ish in terms of camera performance. Um, I'm really liking some of the early uh, early interactions I've had. I haven't shot heavy on it yet, though, so I can't, like, dig deep into, like, photo IQ and lens and quality and stuff like that. But we can, we can absolutely chat. Um... DTNL, wait, what? Six hours with all that in the background? Wow, okay, HN2, you have my attention. It's a, 2023, the HN2 and the Dimensity 9200 are phenomenal. They're just really good performers. And And I know Apple still sort of ekes out some kind of like performance efficiency win when you're talking chip to chip, but iPhones do a miserable job of dealing with thermal throttling. They are not built with the same kinds of like vapor chambers and heat pipes and coolers and stuff that our Android devices are. So like the sustained performance on an iPhone typically isn't as good, but it's better at a similar power draw, right? We really got to break down the nuances and all the specifics, but like eight gen two phones this last year were outpacing iPhone for sustained frame rate. In a game like Genshin Impact, like, the Android phones consumed more power, but they kept you at a higher, more fluid gameplay than what the iPhone could could sustain, what the iPhone could, could deliver. I, I mean, any notion of there being, like, one clear winner or superiority, you've really got to break it down. And you've also got to break it down by game, because there are a bunch of games that are not well optimized for either platform, and you've got to say, like, oh, I want it to do this, but... I don't play Genshin Impact. What about the games I play? And then there are phones that perform better and worse on different kinds of games, especially once you start looking at differences for things like the amount of RAM or the type of storage that's being used. Um, I really, Again, I would love to have like a little cadre of tech reviewers that were more like hardware unboxed. Not just I did all my testing on this one game, or if it is, it's like PUBG or COD. So it's like you maybe get three games that are discussed with any kind of regularity and consistency. And I feel like we could open that up. Like, I'm telling you, Alien Isolation at 100 frames per second looks so great. Oh, man. Just that opening sequence. I always kind of play out the first 20 minutes just to kind of test, like 20 minutes to half hour. And I loved, like... uh, you get off the ship, you 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 fly through space, you land on the other ship, you're walking through the corridors, and you make it to that first vent that you have to crawl through, and there's this sort of exploding fire. And at a hundred frames per second, it's so pretty. <laughs> the fire in space kind of floating out of this nozzle. It it's real nice. I really think people would would appreciate just what that looks like. You go I go back to like my Steam Deck L C D screen. It, you know the game can run at at up to 60 frames per second but it doesn't quite sustain 60 throughout all of those sequences on the steam deck you're like the steam deck is is in, it, it, obviously the better game playing platform for all of the the games that you can play but it does not look as nice <laughs> uh hold on uh 3 I'm hearing conflicting info on the HN3, some low stability scores under load, but people like Flossie Carter are climaxing all over it. I am going to have more to say, and I want to put these numbers up there, but I fear 2024 is going to be more a highlight on improving performance. And because we don't have a die shrink, it will not be the same balance of performance to power draw. That being said, my early interactions with the iQ12, so much better than where we were with phones in 2022. So I don't feel this is a detrimental backslide. Like, this is not a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 and we do need to see companies get in there get those patches out polish up performance this is this is like crazy bleeding edge tip of the spear very few regions on the planet can really shop these devices directly i wholly expect that these numbers will improve we saw those numbers improve with the 8 gen too i mean we're comparing the more polished and uh, updated and patched versions of phones against the most leading, aggressively new devices that are out this year. Um, but I don't think we'll ever completely make up that power deficit. I think there's always going to be a bit of a schism. You, if you want incredible overkill performance and better battery life, then you have to be comfortable making sacrifices on some of the AI tech. And I think the HN2 might satisfy. I think the HN2 might be worth your consideration. The HN2 might end up being our proper replacement for the Snapdragon 865 870 cuz it's real good. <laughs> um yeah, MacCordon, yeah, like an S23 Ultra for $550 on the resale market will be an interesting decision versus a $1300 HN3 and I would be reluctant to trade in the Powerhouse HN2. That is very well summed up in my OPPO Find X2 Pro. Because there are other things to factor in, too. Like, do you care about different kinds of screen technologies? Do you care about different kinds of camera technologies? It's, it's a pretty good nuanced fight between different features and different components. And I think now we've got a really fun choice to play out last year's ultra-tier phones, I mean, a 2023 ultra-tier phone against a 2024 Pro-tier phone is going to be a brutal showdown. And if I could get, like, a Xiaomi 13 Ultra, I would take a Xiaomi 13 Ultra against a Xiaomi 14 Pro. So if, if, if the pricing on this makes sense as we're flipping year over year... Um it's going to be a really interesting fight. <laughs> the SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options and they don't need to break the bank and the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling bluetooth earbuds Adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com, shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at meaudio for hooking up the promo code now Let's get on with the show. Uh, From Starscream, speaking of console ports, I wish... Oh, I think you mean I wish. I wish we had more proper games like Grid, Autosport on phones. Grid, Autosport is probably the most intensive racing game on a mobile phone, in my opinion. We're starting to see a little bit more, but what's funny is uh, the company that did Grid, that did the Grid port, I think also did the uh, Alien Isolation port. So if you're not paying attention, let me pull them up. Google Play Feral. Um, I think they did both. Oh, so yeah, you're talking about good Android ports. Be aware of Feral Interactive. So I've got them up on the screen right now. They did medieval, Total War Medieval 2, Company of Heroes, Tropico, Grid, Autosport, Uh, Sid Meier's Railroads, Alien Isolation, XCOM 2 Collection, and all of the Rome Total Wars, they just released Hitman Blood Money Reprisal. So I still need to buy this. I'm not the biggest fan of the Hitman games, but I want to give this one a shot. And again, I want to support developers that are kind of bringing good ports and transitioning them over to, uh, uh, to Android devices. So the thing I love about Feral... Their games are never cheap. Like Hitman, Blood Money Reprisal, it's new, it just just came out, is a $15 game. But that's kind of like a nice last life for a game is when it comes to mobile like this. Um, I believe Alien Isolation, oh, I don't think it is anymore. Alien Isolation was on sale, now it's back up to $11. Rome Total War, $10. XCOM 2, $14.99. But the the great thing is, is that these are just the proper console and PC ports. So no microtransactions, no gimmicks, no gotcha elements. Like you buy the game and then you play the game and then you just sort of always own the game. I want to support developers that just work with other publishers to do high quality mobile ports. I actually need, you know what I might do is I'll see if I can add grid to some of my benchmarking. I'm not a hardcore racer like on mobile the game that i i did the most that i spent the most time on for racing was uh um the jet ski what was the jet ski game ah oh, that's gonna kill me um but yeah i i especially the second one God, i can't remember what was the name of that game um but it's uh it's just completely like speed bumped my whole my whole podcast here trying to remember what the name of that Riptide <laughs> got it um yeah uh, Riptide 2 especially uh I I I I just I could not put Riptide down right now I'm playing a bit more I'm trying to get my daughter into kart racers um thank you Kappa cash yes absolutely and T Bubs um I uh I I I I almost you you almost got me there I, I I was so embarrassed like I couldn't remember the name of one of my favorite games on Android Um, But we're trying to play more kart racers. So I haven't played a lot of, like, sort of more legit uh, motorsport-style racing games. And I think Grid would probably be something good for me to just sort of shake up my routine. But the thing I love is, like, yeah, the games cost more. But they don't. Like, I I tried... You know those, those game advertisements you get where you're, like, a little team of soldiers and all these waves of enemies are coming at you and you've got to kind of move side to side... And, like, shoot waves of zombies and then pick up other weapons. So I tried a few of them. And I really wish I could get an arcadey game like that. Like, that feels like such Atari-style gameplay. I actually really love the game mechanic. So one of them was just math problems. So you're, you're moving your little soldiers side to side. And then two potential upgrades come down the pipe. And you've got to look at your number of soldiers and then you'll get something like plus 40 or times three. And you've got to decide really quickly in that moment, like is, so, okay, I've got 15 soldiers. So if I get the plus 40, oh, but if I do the times three, that's 45. So I'll get five more soldiers. So you zip over there and you get the multiplication instead of the addition. And sometimes it works out in different ways. That little game loop for a mobile, like, just one-thumb arcade shooter-type game, is so fun. But the second you're done with your one quick little mission, it takes, like, 30 seconds to just mow, your, mow down a whole horde of zombies, and then you, you're, you're done with that mission. Then you've got to build a base, and then you've got to do all this resource management, and there are all these different types of currencies, and, you know, you've got different hero units, and there's, like, this, just this barrage of crap. That's just slathered on. And you you know you're upgrading part of your base. So now there's a clock on how long it takes to upgrade. And of course, with every upgrade, it like quintuples the amount of time that the upgrade takes. So if you want to shortcut that, you've got to have this other special gem currency, which then gives you a ticket, which you can buy for a jewel, and then you can get newspapers that help train your troops, but then you need food to feed your troops, but then you need money. But there's this other machine, so you've got to rebuild this part of the base. And It only took like five missions before your soldiers were completely outclassed by the waves of zombies. So you had to just engage with this really mind-numbingly intense resource management BS. Because it's not like a fun build-a-base game. It's just how many different in-game currencies can we create that you would need to spend real money to buy more to elevate cuz you can't get there just through playing the game. You can't just grind and you can't go back and replay missions and accrue materials that way. You eventually hit a brick wall. So, what do you do? Well, I guess you stop playing the game. Hilariously, there's also a ticking clock aspect where in your first batch of missions, the Super hot blonde intelligence officer that you're working with to maintain your base is strapped to a chair with a ticking bomb. So uh, she's already died. I, 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 this sucks. I feel so bad for her. Um, but you, it then puts like an eight hour time limit and you go to check in and she's like hilariously bound and gagged and you have to get these like tools to clip the wires to detach her from the bomb it's like the most manipulative (laughs) oh no the hot the hot blonde she's gonna explode (laughs) you only have eight hours to save her and there is no way to progress through all the tools that you need to collect to detach the bomb from her without spending some money (laughs) and you're like I would love to play this game I would love to play the, I've got a team of soldiers, and I upgrade my soldiers, and I just move side to side, and I shoot zombies. That, that's so much fun. It really is. It's a great little game loop, and perfect for mobile in these, like, 30-second to one-minute increments. Brilliant. It's great. Can't get it without having the most uh, manipulative and grotesque microtransactions attached to playing what should be a simple game. So I get through all of that, and you know what? I'd rather just spend 15 bucks on XCOM 2. The entire collection of XCOM 2, some of the best strategy gameplay ever created. And now I can play it on my phone. And now I, I want to spend more time with Grid. And maybe I'll also fire up a Tropico. Because Feral Interactive is actually putting in the work that not only are these games on Android, but they're playing so well. And if you have yourself a premium tier device, 60 frame per second alien isolation on OLED phone screens, just mm, chef's kiss. If you have yourself a Red Magic or a Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 in an IQ 12, 100 frame per second liquid liquidy smooth, just gorgeous gameplay. And that game is $11 you get so much more enjoyment out of alien isolation than like buying a movie ticket. <laughs> I don't know. our movies $11 where you live? I think our matinees are $9 here in, in Southern California. So I might have my perspective skewed on how much a movie costs, but for two more dollars, I get, a lot more entertainment bang for buck out of alien isolation than I do out of a, a current theater uh, movie going experience even when movies are like three hours long um, uh, yeah so that's pretty great oh yeah pakostin grid on the velvet with the dual screen case is just chef's kiss uh, it grid dual screen. So, I mean, you'll pardon the, the, I think one of the last times I fired up grid, it was on the V60, but yeah, I'm with you. Dual display. Mwah. Just brilliant. Oh, and sucra fruit pie. I think sucra fruit, fruit pie. I think that's your name. Last week, you brought up people wanting Civ 5 on mobile. Full Civ 6 is on mobile and it's a great port is Civ 6. Who did Civ 6? Civilization 6. Wow. Play 60 turns of Civilization 6 for free. Upgrade to keep playing. So this made me nervous as soon as I saw it that... Immediately under, I try to avoid games that just say in-app purchases um, because this is shame on Google. Um, Google doesn't delineate what in-app purchases are. There is a huge difference between play a demo of the game and pay to unlock the whole game versus these stupid little zombie shooters where you've got tons of micromanaging currencies that you're constantly chipping money away for resource packs and a hero unlocks and random number generator BS. You can get a shard of a hero unit for $10. That should be gambling illegal for anyone under the age of 21. But what it seems Civ Six is doing is giving you the whole game to play 60 turns um, and then from there you pay to unlock the whole game. I'm trying to see if they mention they so used to have so in-app purchases between $2 and $40 per item. I'm going to have to load this up and see um, if there is like a, um, if there is sort of like a paywall that's being uh, sort of applied or if it's just like expansions or uh sort of game unlock. But I'm, I'm very, I, I did not know that Civ 6 was on was on Android. That's huge. And again, I love it. Right next to Civ 6, you want a little trip down memory lane. Uh <laughs> Star Wars Kotor and Star Wars Kotor 2. And I have not heard of Layers of Fear. What is Layers of Fear? Looks like a first person. It's $10. I might need to pick this up. A first person adventure game. Uh oh Completely redesigned for an optimal VR experience, the player takes on the first person perspective of a psychologically disturbed painter trying to complete his magnum opus while battling ghastly visions in a crumbling psyche. I, I don't know about y'all, but for the holidays, this kind of sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm going to stop that right there before Juan maybe said too much. <laughs> So yeah, um, go scream Grid. Seem to have a bug where if you pause it one too many times, it crashes. But it's a proper track racing game with proper endurance races and whatnot. I, I need I need to give it a shot. I really do. Like I, I'm starting to get a little bit more of an itch for gameplay like that because it's a little different than my normal pattern of like twin stick shooters. I can't play first person first person perspective games for very long. So, I adore Alien Isolation because there's lots of um, anxiety moments. You, you kind of crouch and hide. I can stop. I can kind of take a moment in some of those sequences. Um, it's not just run and gun, constant twitch action, which is now making me vomit really, really quickly. Um, but it, so, picking up kart racers with Lex, like we've been playing Sonic uh, Team Racing. And uh, now it's kind of got me a little more interested in what, like, a proper racer would, would be like. So I, I need to give that a shot. So I wanted to wrap this up. Flowtech. I'm sorry. I think I've lost your comment, Flowtech. But um, you, you did ask earlier, and then you, you followed up. Um, what, was your, what was your game of the year? Uh, my game of the year. Uh, so you'll, you'll have to pardon I get to play in such short bursts. So when I look at, like, my Steam stats, the game I played the most from uh, 2022 through 2023 uh, was Vampire Survivors. Because at most, I could kind of only dedicate, like, a half-hour loop. And something clicked in my brain. I just loved that kind of swarm enemy defense style gameplay and so now there's another recent update um coming out for for vampire survivors uh and and i'm they're doing like a collab with uh among us so i'm really kind of curious to see what this new adventure mode is like i haven't picked it back up in a little while but um for 2023 proper the other game that i have spent the most time playing uh Because I I don't have a PlayStation 5. I was very interested in seeing, like, what Spider-Man 2 might be like. I went back and kind of replayed a little Spider-Man 1, especially while I was reviewing some of those mini PCs. But the game I just keep coming back to is RoboCop. It is not a revolutionary first-person shooter. It does not dramatically change the genre in any way. I am of the right age and mindset to really be into the hyper-violence, foe, the, the retro-futuristic hyper-violence of the RoboCop world. It is bitingly sardonic. It is hilariously satirical. It is lovingly crafted to look like a, a, a proper sequel to the RoboCop films. And I just adore that they managed to land like... A, um, Peter Weller as as the voice of RoboCop. So I just love hearing his voice going through these action sequences. And it is like, like I said, I can't spend a lot of time in a first person shooter before I start to feel ill. And I can, I can get about 30 minutes out of RoboCop because RoboCop is so slow. (laughs) I have not upgraded. Like, so there's one skill tree where you can like upgrade and create more of this like dash burst Combat effect, and instead I'm dumping all of my resource points into defense so I can just lumber into every action sequence and just soak up as much damage as possible. And it is like the silliest shooting gallery simulator where you immediately go into targeting mode and you see the cool little 80s style graphics of him like you know locking on to enemies and then you just pick them off and then you scan for clues and then you take it back to the station and then you dump more resource points in and the story is 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 fun. I don't know that it is at the caliber of writing as even RoboCop 2, but it it is such a loving homage to those movies and it feels it's fun. It feels it feels good just sort of clumping into a building and you hear all the sound effects, the clump, 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 clump. And he doesn't, you're not dashing. You're not taking cover at all. There is no cover mechanic in RoboCop. um It, it just feels really, it feels right. It feels really good. So it is not game of the year. I don't even know that it deserves a nomination for game of the year, but it has been the game I have been, uh, I've been picking up the most this year. That's the game where I haven't just cheated by saying, oh, well, I like playing these games on my Steam Deck because I love the portability of the Steam Deck. So that's kind of influencing what types of games I like to play. I am making an effort to come back to my workstation with the you know the more beefy components so that I can play it on an ultra-wide monitor and... It's just it's just dumb fun. It really is great. <laughs> uh, from Ha Sam, any thoughts on the beeper mini saga? I exhausted caring about the beeper mini saga by t- posting on social media, and I, I, I guess if people want to hear my rambling, aggravated uh, assessment of the situation, you can. I mean, you'll find the, the, the ugliest version of that over on Threads. Um, but I also posted a few similar things over on Mastodon. Surprisingly, people on Mastodon weren't as aggressively supporting Apple in terrible business practices as people on Threads. Um, but I just don't feel like I care to mention any more. It's, it's a bad look. It, it, it sucks. And I wish Apple could be taken to task better for interoperability. They are now actively becoming a barrier for people to communicate with each other here in the United States. The rest of the world, they all moved on. <laughs> it's it's us Americans. Uh, we're we're getting kind of shafted. Um DTNL, wasn't game of the year not Spider-Man 2? You know what's funny is like the reactions to Spider-Man 2, I feel like there's an appropriate level of criticism where Spider-Man 2 is not as revolutionary to this open-world gameplay as Spider-Man 1 was. And I think that's fair. You can say, like, I I had higher expectations. Spider-Man 1 did so much to really nail the feel of swinging through New York. It was just just incredible um, achievement in video game gameplay. But I still look at, like, what people are doing and the fun that people are having and, like, fair to criticize and like I I totally appreciate people who are saying things like I don't really I think the boss fights are too gimmicky or that there are these other things that kind of get in the way of what I liked about Spider-Man 1 Um, the the tone of the story is a Venom storyline so we know it's going to be a little bit darker but I gotta say like nothing has captured that fun run around the city, complete these tasks, find these missions. We had these, these two games a couple console generations back. We had Infamous and we had Prototype. I was a Prototype guy, but I really liked Infamous. I think more people were into Infamous and maybe they appreciated Prototype as, as sort of the clone of that open world power-up uh, combat style. Prototype is not a great game, but it's a really good open-world power-up mutation simulator. The storyline is dumb, <laughs> but few games have captured that feel of upgrading your character, getting these new skills, and then it really kind of impacting the 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 style of gameplay. That, like you get a new upgrade ability and then the feel of attacking enemies with that new ability was so satisfying. Nothing has come close for me. Nothing has come close to that feel of exploring this open space and then really kind of like nailing the new mechanics that your, your character, your character discovers like Spider-Man did. And there are little glimmers of that with like Venom, Venom feels a little like a prototype-style character in the way that you see gameplay for Spider-Man 2. So I totally get it. I I didn't like some of the people who were really, like, proud of themselves for not declaring Spider-Man 2 Game of the Year. I feel Spider-Man 2 absolutely deserved the nomination. I feel Spider-Man 2 is an achievement in game development, and game design, gameplay even if it doesn't fully stick the landing in being as progressive or as revolutionary as Spider-Man one was, I don't think anyone can fault. That is just a phenomenal achievement in gameplay. But when I look at the different player communities out there and I see sort of like the trends and who's talking about what and who's playing what I kind of, I'm not surprised that we're sort of drifting more towards like a Baldur's gate uh, in, in a lot of these conversations. That's not a game for me. I can't be married to one game for that long because I'd never get to ever play anything else. It takes me so long to get through games these days. I'm still not done with RoboCop. It shouldn't take me this long to roll credits on RoboCop. The story is not that deep. (laughs) But again, it's like, I only get to play it in these brief little chunks. Um, Even just like the amount of time it takes RoboCop to load on my PC can decide for me whether or not I'm going to get time to play RoboCop. But I, I really, I'm struggling because 2023 was one of these damn breaking years for gaming. It really felt like every week we were getting games that could have potentially been game of the year winners in years prior. Like, when you break down what a Spider-Man 2 is, like five years ago, that would have been a game of the year. Just all on its own. All by itself without any of the baggage of having played Spider-Man one, right? Like that, that would have just blown the doors off the award shows. I don't even get into Nintendo gaming anymore. And we had tears of the kingdom. And you know what? If you're a breath of the wild fan, I, I, that's not my style of Zelda, but you can't look at tears of the kingdom and not say like, yeah, it's, it's an improvement on breath of the wild, but it's an improvement on breath of the wild that on its own would have made it a game of the year (laughs) in the past. Like you made breath of the wild better. Like it it was an incredible year for gaming. And I like my catalog of like games. I think I should play is so long now. I I'll never be able to finish all of the games that I want to play. And I'm finding like new games, literally like every day, like, Oh, I need to give this a try. I spent a lot of time this year just catching up on games like Baba is You. I never rolled credits on Baba is You. I wanted to play that. Um, Loop Hero, uh, uh, again, I am always down to pick up 10 minutes of Dead Cells. Like so many just great experiences that just kind of get mixed up into this larger conversation of what qualifies a game to be the game of the year. So yeah, just really, really good. (laughs) a DTNL like there was a time prior to my last final exam where I was playing vampire survivors for 50 minutes a day in one go on my phone because it's real good it's real good I like it a lot vampire survivors is so good I was so proud of Lex when she finally got to a Reaper she was like I beat the game I beat it (laughs) it was so cute Um, uh, oh McCorcoran no mention no Starfield didn't even get a nomination That one, I wasn't sure. I, I, uh, again, I feel there is a certain contingent of criticism that maybe isn't completely fair for Starfield, but it is a very nuanced conversation for the incredible quantity of extremely high-quality games that we got this year. So whether or not we put all our stock in, like, a Game Awards type award show... I I still feel like you can point to Starfield as being a pretty incredible achievement, but one that will likely, I I feel like it's going to be more in line with like a No Man's Sky or a Cyberpunk where the game was really ambitious and there was no way to stick the landing on all of that ambition right at launch and in two years are we going to be talking about patches and updates and mods for Starfield that completely change up the player experience? And we talk about it more like we do uh, Cyberpunk now. I think that there's a game that comes out that's amazing to play. And I had so much fun with RoboCop. I'm not expecting anything from RoboCop after I finish it. I'll be done. But a game like Starfield, I feel is sort of, you're buying into the promise of what's to come and that's dangerous. You know, sometimes you're going to have your heart broken when the developers don't stick the landing, but sometimes you end up with No Man's Sky and again, a player community that just adores what that game has become even though it was kind of pants on head stupid when it launched. And that's complicated. And in a couple years we're going to have GTA 6 just completely blown away <laughs> like all of our conversations about. Like I kind of feel like there was a pressure to get games out this year and there's going to be an increased pressure to get games out next year just so that no one has to compete against gta 6 (laughs) i love it it's hilarious all right we should probably wrap this up my voice is actively failing and we went a little longer but i'm glad we had a chat just a little gaming chat i'm gonna have so much more to say about aiku 12 um I love IQ devices. I really like what Vivo is doing. And some of these early experiences are just so much fun. Um, but I do feel that this is going to be a very nuanced conversation about phones and performance and these like high level features that we want more people to take advantage of. And I think IQ is the right place to start. Like That is a brand that I think joins those conversations really well. So uh, folks, lots coming down the pipe. Tons of really fun content to watch. Uh, if you if you caught over the weekend, uh, Nomad Tech. I don't know if Jeff streamed, if El Jefe Reviews streamed, but he's usually streaming over the weekend. So definitely keep an eye out on those two channels. Two of my absolute favorite, um, uh, just casual conversational live stream tech chats. Uh, I think, was it Tech for Your Needs is today? Uh, Gadget Goddess, I think, is streaming tomorrow. Wednesday is usually easy, easy computer solutions. Thursday is uh, Ike Talks Tech or Ike's Tech Talk. I always get that flipped and I apologize because I search for it and then I like, oh yeah, I said it wrong. It's one of those two names. It's either Ike Talks Tech or Ike's Tech Talk. Someone will correct me in the chat. Um, and then Thursday, TK and I are going to be streaming for best of our week. Uh, Friday is usually LaShawn. Then we get back into the weekend and you're back here next week for another uh sggqa on your monday morning tech chat shows there's so much really good commentary and this is the right time of year to also get a feel of like those yearly wrap-ups having a lot of fun just lurking in other people's streams oh and uh scott scott peachy technically speaking he's back to streaming again we talked about him a, a couple months ago just in creator burnout and looking at what to do with his channel and he's kind of doing something similar to what tk and i are doing where we're not trying to blow up this podcast. We just want to hang out. Do you want to just hang out? Then you should really follow some of, these ch- ch- some of these channels and some of these streams because it is so much more casual. It's so much more organic. I really enjoy it. So TK and I will be streaming on Thursday. Uh, Scott Peachy, technically speaking, is back to streaming weekly. Just some really glorious tech chat every single day of the week from people that I think have a much more sort of community mindset on, on joining these conversations. Um, So we'll, we'll, we'll be spreading this stuff out. Um, There will be a show next week um, that, that will maybe end up becoming our pajama podcast because I got to take time off around Christmas proper. So next week is the 18th and then the week following is the 25th. I'm not going to do a show on the 25th. So I apologize in advance, but I need some me brain healing time. <laughs> and, and and this is like as Lex is eight years old, there are precious few of these Christmases left for celebrating the real sort of little kid magic of Christmas. And I got to I got to be with her for these last couple of Christmases. So, I mean not like she's never going to celebrate Christmas again. I just mean that little kid like wake up Christmas morning and Santa comes and it's just amazing, you know. I want to I want to be there for these moments here. So, um sorry, I got sidetracked. Amazing content, lots of really fun people to check out, to follow, to 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 converse with. I want to greatly thank everybody who did help share the word, spread the word. I actually had more viewers this week than we did last week, so I feel pretty good at least about continuing the experiment of not promoting stuff on Twitter anymore um, that's that 's y'all you 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 helped me there. I really appreciate that this chat was lively and it was fun. It was exactly what I needed to kind of kick off this week and um, I can't thank you enough for supporting, for sharing, for contributing to these conversations. Uh, this is a such a niche little idea of running a tech politics and gadget review podcast. It's like you, you didn't get peanut butter in my chocolate. You just sort of have them side by side. <laughs> they don't really work as one unified flavor profile. But this is exactly the kind of conversation that I like to have. So I'm always very appreciative of people out there sharing it. And the numbers were even better this week than last week. So that makes me feel a little less pressure to always play ball with an awful platform like Twitter. I can kind of separate myself and walk away. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping to facilitate that. Folks, I want you to be awesome with your technology. I want you to do awesome with your technology. And I want you to take care of yourself so you can keep taking care of others and be that great tech neighbor that I know you are. I'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Monday morning tech chat show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe. Take care. I love y'all and I'll catch you back. Recording voiceover spoken word is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take better photos. Smartphone photography for noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration... And I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.